You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. And enjoy the show. Now, please welcome to the stage, Adam Pascal. Welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, where we bring you behind the scenes at Broadway Supper Club. Today's show is a real dream come true for my inner fangirl. Our guest is the Tony-nominated star of Rent, Aida, Cabaret, Chicago, and Memphis, among other Broadway shows. Most recently, he starred in Something Rotten, where he played the part of a sexy William Shakespeare, and also played the lead in Pretty Woman the Musical. And this month, July and August of 2021, he'll be back at Feinstein's 54 Below performing a solo show. Adam Pascal, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Noah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So if this were normal times, we'd be sitting across each other, but we're doing this virtually. So everybody's adjusting to doing things differently. And I'm wondering how the past year has been for you. This past year has been really difficult. <laughs> it's been really difficult for everybody, but it's been particularly difficult for me. I went through a divorce and I'm <laughs> at the same time as the lockdown. Oh, no. um, and so that was pretty hard, but I'm here now. So I guess to a certain extent, I have fared well. Luckily, nobody in my family got sick. And so knock on wood, that's really a success. Nobody got sick. Everything else is just life's trials and tribulations and we get through it, but we're all healthy. And I've done everything I could to figure out how to continue to, in any way, shape, or form, make a living during this lockdown, you know what I mean? As everyone in this industry has. Thank goodness the live performing of music of my own, <laughs> whether it be not necessarily my own, but my sort of cabaret style performing, luckily I have that, and that's a part of my career. And so that actually took me through the pandemic. I was able to do a lot of stuff via Zoom and via the internet that had I not had that ability, I would have been in a lot of trouble, certainly financially. But I think it's forced us all, certainly in show business, to examine what we do, how we do it, and how we could expand on what we do and how we do it in this new world that now exists. Lots of things are going to go back to the way they were, but then a good amount of stuff won't. And so we, as artists in show business, have to adjust to whatever is being presented in front of us in terms of our opportunities in this business. And now they're different. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, because I did notice that you had done some streaming projects and obviously you're picking up live concerts now. And at Fine Science 54 Below, we've just done a few streaming projects and we're dipping our toes in that medium. And it was incredibly complicated. Yeah, it is. <laughs> for example, we found out our stage lights are all wrong for video and they were horrible. So how did you adjust and learn to do all that technical stuff? Kind of in the same way, by trial and error and figuring out what worked and what didn't. And we're all still figuring that out. You know what I mean? I did a couple of full production Zoom musicals and... I was so grateful to have the opportunity and to do it and to have the experience. And I loved working with the people that I worked with, but I never want to do that again. <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. It sucks because that's not what we do. It's not what we do. It's not how we do it. It's not being presented in the way that it's supposed to be presented, which is live in person on a stage. It's for the camera 
are designed and created for the camera, right? You can't take something that was designed and created for the stage and just make little tweaks and, hey, let's put the camera on the stage and get up in the actor's face. That still doesn't work. You know what I mean? They're two completely different mediums. Yeah, um, we did these fully staged concerts in the club with no audience and they were beautiful and the lights and the sound were great and we have full bands, very safe COVID rules, but the performers missed the audience. Yes. So there's and, no and applause after every song. A hundred percent. I've done a lot of performing during this lockdown in my home and I've done several, actually no, I did one in club at the Bourbon Room in Los Angeles. I did one performance that was live in the club and again, lights, camera action, the whole thing, but no audience. And it was a really bad performance on my part because I was so unnerved by the fact that there was nobody there. Honestly, like I had PTSD I was having because I grew up playing in rock bands to empty clubs. So now I'm literally like back on a stage in a rock club and there's nobody there. I'm honestly having PTSD. Um, so I agree with that totally. And after that have been offered opportunities to do the same thing in different locations, to do a live performance on a club in a stage but with no audience and I'll never do that again. <laughs> Were you one of the people who kept busy with other projects as well or did you need to take a step back and aside from your music just wait it out? I know I did a lot of yoga for the last year but did you find hobbies? It was oh. both. I don't have any hobbies <laughs> other than playing music. So yes, I had a forced reset and having to sit back and rest and, and then at the same time doing anything and everything that I could, that I could think of or that was presented to me. So desperate times. And quite <laughs> frankly, so many people had it so much worse than me. I certainly don't want to make it sound like I had such a horrible struggle. I had a home. I had food. Nobody got sick. Again, I'm aware of how fortunate I have been throughout this. I think it's been rough for everybody, for sure. Yeah. What do you think the hardest thing was for you during this quarantine period? Not to keep bringing this up, but going through a separation. <laughs> that was the hardest thing. Living in your own house in another room is difficult. So that's really hard, especially when you're locked down and you can't go anywhere. So for <laughs> me personally, that was it. I'm glad that you have a little bit of a sense of humor about it. Now that you've been through the storm, I guess. What was the biggest adjustment for you in not being able to perform music every night? Specifically, when you have an incredible instrument like your voice, oh, you can't you. just put it away for a year, right? Thank you. No, you can't. And the best thing that happened to me in this lockdown is that I discovered Cameo. Do you know what Cameo is? I'm making those mm -hmm. Cameo videos. Yeah, of course. I mean, Cameo literally sustained me Financially, again, in addition to whatever other oh, wow. stuff I did, but also I performed every day. Granted, I was singing predominantly <laughs> the same three songs over and over again, but I was still I was still singing. I'd pay for those. Three. I'm sure you can guess what they are too. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't actually know that Cameo was. I've seen a lot of theater artists on it, yeah. so I'm glad to hear that it is viable. It really is, and certainly for me. I don't know what other people do, but I play you a song. So look, hey, you're getting what I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not just getting some message like, hey, happy birthday. <laughs> you know, like. Oh, that's great. I'll remember that for people's birthdays. <laughs> Obviously, you have an enormous following from Rent, and it's really hard to believe it's been 25 years. And 25 years since I camped out in front of the Nederlander. <laughs> does it feel like it's been that long for you? Yes and no. In ways it does, and in ways it feels like it was yesterday. It's amazing to me that I can look back on 25 years and I'm so grateful that I've had the career that I've had. 
things could have gone in any number of directions after that launching pad that I had there 25 years ago, you know? And I'm so grateful to be where I am. So I remember reading somewhere that you were not looking for a career in musical theater. Like you just said, you were in a band and a musician. So did you imagine that your life would be this? Or would 20-year-old you be surprised at the career that you've had in musical theater? Oh, of course. I'm still shocked to this day, 25 years later, that this is who I've become or what I've become and that this is my career. It is so much more wonderful than I ever dreamed a, a, a career being a rock star was. And especially, I do think about this in practical terms, like I've had a great career. It's been incredibly difficult as everybody's career is, but I've had a wonderful career so far. And I look forward to many years in front of me of continuing this wonderful career that I've had that I love so much. I think about, had I had success in music in my early 20s, before Rent ever came along, where I would most likely be now, which is where a lot of people who had success in the early 90s in music now have no careers because the music industry changed so much. Because I was in rock bands, so most rock bands for back then kind of disappeared. They don't have really big careers unless you're a huge band unless you became an A-list monster band. The likelihood that that would have happened to me is so minuscule. Had I had success at all, it would have been probably... Oh my God, did you hear that? What is it? Did you hear that? Yeah, what is it? That's thunder. That was thunder. Wait, are you in Los Angeles? <laughs> no, I'm in New York. Oh, <laughs> I was Long, gonna say... I'm on Long Island. Oh, okay, I was gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> wow. That just shook my house. <laughs> <laughs> leave that in there, that was awesome, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Just when you're talking about being in a rock band. I, I know, guess. right? Boom. <laughs> yeah, so I think had I had success, uh, it probably would have been moderate, and then I'd be in a lot of trouble right now. I'm just so happy that things turned out the way they turned out. And I'm also, I just think I'm so much better at this than that. <laughs> yeah, well, you're great at both, I would say. But I've heard Anthony Rapp say that he auditioned with Losing My Religion. Do you remember what your audition song was for Rent? I sure do. I played it in my acoustic show. I'll be playing it in your club there. It was the Red Hill Mining Town by U2 off of the Joshua Tree. Oh, wow. Yeah. Amazing. Also a song that probably changed your life, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I always thought in a way, like if two rock stars were going to play Roger and Mark, at least vocally, it would be Bono and Michael Stipe. <laughs> I always thought of Anthony and I yeah. as sort of the Bono and the Michael Stipe. I was one of the lucky ones who got to see the show at New York Theatre Workshop thanks to a friend who was working there. When you were doing the show in those early days, and I know there was a lot of emotion going around because of Jonathan, did you know then in those early shows that this was going to be so special? Could you sense that? Yes, absolutely. Now, I'm assuming what you mean by special is successful. And the answer to that is no. We knew it was incredibly special. We knew it was like everyone who saw it was just so moved by it. And we were all so moved by it. So we knew it was this wonderful thing that we were doing. We had no way of knowing what it would become, the amount of success it would achieve, because you can't know that. Each step was just like another, oh my God moment. You know what I mean? Like each step, oh my God, oh my God. It was like, you know, the yeah. success off Broadway, then, oh my God, we're moving to Broadway, and oh my God, now look at the Tony nominations, and oh my God, Pulitzer Prize, and oh my God, this, and oh my, like, yeah. things kept happening. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you've heard the same story from whatever kids you've interviewed from Hamilton, but it's just a crazy ride. It's just a crazy roller coaster that is, is so exciting. But as with those experiences, as they are, you don't really internalize them. You can't experience them 
in a way that somebody from the outside thinks you're experiencing them. You know, people are always like, that must be so this, and oh my God, you must have felt this way, and oh, you know what? No, it's not like that, you know what I mean? It's hard to explain, and I'm not downplaying the experience. It's just not what people think it is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The show was so groundbreaking. I mean, I think for me, it was seeing people my age experiencing the issues and the angst right. that my generation, Gen X, was going through. And yeah. it just was so special to see that. And I was personally was never a musical person. I was diehard three-hour play Shakespeare right. girl <sighs> and never been interested in musicals until Rent and then Tommy. Those were the shows that I thought, wow, okay, there is a musical theater for me. Yeah. And I think that's why after all this time it's endured and why the fans are so intense because yeah. it just really made such a difference to us in our whole perception of musical theater. And I'm so honored to have been part of something that has done that to this genre of entertainment. What a huge honor to have any part in that is incredible. Well, and the cast has such great energy and chemistry. And I guess when you go through something like that together, you kind of are bonded in a way for life, whether or not you see each other, you know, for years and years. Of course. Yeah, we certainly are. And a couple of years ago, they did the Rent Live thing. Yeah, uh, I saw it. Yeah. And so they had us all, all 15 of us, come back and do a little cameo there at the end. And it was so wonderful because I've certainly kept in touch with certain people, but some more than others. And we certainly, that was the first time all of us have been together in many, many years. And it was just so wonderful. It was so great for all of us to get back together. And, and we ignited a text thread that oh. now we have like a, the original Broadway cast text thread with the 15 of us. And oh my God. We're all like in touch now <laughs> on a fairly frequent, consistent basis. And that's just great. That's I love that. It's funny. I remember seeing the show and some of my friends were, they were just overcome with emotion. And then they also at the same time said, well, why aren't they singing their songs? And I said, well, why would they sing them again? They've sang them perfectly and they're <laughs> recorded for eternity. And to show the next generation doing those songs really shows the legacy. As does any cast album. It's there for posterity's sake and to preserve the original cast and all that stuff. I just did this yesterday. I work with students and kids all the time and working on rent and stuff. And I always emphasize to just not try and sound like people on the cast album. <laughs> on any cast album, you know what I mean? Sound like you. That's what's going to make you interesting is to sound like you. I know you've sung the songs from the show countless times, but do you have a favorite song from Rent? And has that changed over the years? I love Light My Candle. I've always loved that song. I've always loved that moment in the show. That's definitely one of my favorites. And then I'll cover your reprise. To get to stand behind Jesse Martin every night and Michael McElroy and other wonderful actors that I've got to do that show with and listen to them sing that song every night is just such a treat. So I also loved, loved Aida. And I'm wondering how it was to go from a really scrappy, gritty, angsty show to a very polished, slick rock opera? Well, it actually wasn't polished and slick when we got to it. <laughs> it needed a lot of work. Look, it was in ways just as gratifying. You know, yes, you're right. Like, Rent was this off-Broadway sort of guerrilla-style thing. We wore our own clothes. And then to go to the, the other end of the spectrum, Elton John, Disney, millions of dollars. For some reason, I didn't absorb the concept of 
the pressure of that being on my shoulders. If anything, it was on Heather's shoulders. <laughs> and so the whole experience was so much fun to me. Every experience I've had has been so much fun. Because my career is so unexpected, everything that I do, I'm like, wow, wow, wow. This is, you know, honestly, like, like I said, it's all so unexpected. I grew up a huge Elton John fan, as most human beings on this planet have. And what an incredible experience to get to sing his original music and work with Heather and Sherry and John Hickok and everybody else, Dan Oreskes, everyone else, you know, like, and, but I can tell you that it was definitely a step down, certainly in terms of the reception of the show amongst the community. People love it. I mean, it's a great show. Oh, does it have it. a lot of holes? Of course, every musical does. But people love it. But the industry was really, you know, look, the Broadway community has a real snobbery about Disney to begin with. But now, 20 years later, it's much better. You know, I mean, I think that they have proven themselves over and over again as a credible source of quality entertainment. But anyway, 20 years ago, it was like all these snobs turning their nose up at Disney. And so what ended up happening was, I don't know if people remember this, but the show was not nominated for Best Musical. I remember that and being outraged. <laughs> well, here's the outrage. It was nominated for and won four Tonys, including music and actress. So you would think that a show that at least merited the nomination and then won having the best music and the best actress would at least merit a nomination for best music. Sure. Yeah, it makes me want to vomit when I think about it. But that's coming off of Rent. And also my reviews were bad. That's crazy, but you know what? There was some truth to it, I think. Look, I was coming off of Rent, Tony nomination. I thought I could do no wrong. And Ben Brantley, I don't know, I think he called me like golden-throated Adam Pascal in his Rent review. Well, in his Aida review, he called me hieroglyph stiff Adam Pascal and <laughs> Aida. But you know okay. what? That was really necessary. <laughs> I needed to hear that because I needed something to shake up my performance, and it actually helped tremendously. That is hilarious. But that being said, to get back to your original question, it was a much different experience doing Aida as it was, you know. You've definitely had some incredible leading ladies over the years but I think you hit the jackpot with that show. With two yes, legends. I certainly did. Yeah, no, I certainly did. You don't get any better than Heather and Sharon. Are there other artists that you haven't worked with that you hope to work with? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people in this community that I would love to work with. I would love to do something with Norbert. He and I actually did Rent together because Norbert was yes. my cover and Anthony's cover. That's so right. I used to go on with him when he would play Mark. And he's just so good. He was so oh. good at both parts. Anyway, I would love to do something with Norbert. And let's see, I love my peers. I love all these people. And I love any opportunity to work with all of them. I'm so grateful that I'm part of this community that we've all, in a way, over the past 25 years, grown up together. My peers, all of my fellow actors who are of a similar age and that we've all been doing Broadway. It's a small community and we all, you know, cross paths and we're all, so many people are just friends and we've all worked together and we work together over and over again you know what I mean different things and the rest of the entertainment business is not like that there's something very special from my experience something very special about the Broadway community us as actors and singers and dancers and the crew all of us who work on these shows we all see each other over and over again, you know what I mean? And it's like, hey, it's yeah. like you're back with family. Every time I go back and I work in the Nederlander, it's been three times already. I see the same crew guys are there <laughs> that I worked with 25 years ago and it's like, I'm coming home to family. Yeah, I think you were also the last generation that was diehard theater careerists. I know that all of you have gone on to do movies and TV and film, but it seems like now there's more crossover 
earlier on. So young YouTube stars right. are starring, whereas I think right. this generation- well, those things didn't exist. Those things yeah. didn't exist. We're the last generation that didn't have cell phones and didn't have the internet yeah. and didn't have social media and didn't have all that stuff. Yeah, and also just bona fide theater stars right. versus, there's some now, but I'm just saying that there's a lot more crossover from- well, it, yes, I know what you mean. And there's certainly a difference between a bona fide, as you say, theater star, as opposed to somebody who comes from another area of entertainment and who may come and sell a shit ton of tickets. But that yeah. doesn't make them a theater star. That just makes them a popular person that can sell tickets in any arena. Yeah, definitely. I think my favorite of your shows after Rent was Cabaret. I mean, it's such a spectacular production. And I really think that I saw every single MC from Alan Cumming to oh, Matt wow. McGrath to yeah. Neil Patrick Harris to you. And I think you were the last one. I was. Right, yep, okay. So then I didn't see anybody after you. I didn't miss anything. <laughs> Can you talk about that experience? And I know I've heard you say in other interviews that that role was very meaningful to you. Yeah, I mean, it changed my life. Coming from the background that I did, through Rent, through Aida, like that was really still my focus. Through all those years, I was still trying to get a record deal and I was still trying to make that dream of mine happen, right? I didn't want to be an actor. I didn't want to keep doing this. I mean, I loved doing musicals, but I wanted the rock band thing, you know, still. Mm -hmm. But Cabaret was this show that I was so engrossed by. I was like, like you were. I mean, it was like, it was unbelievable. And I had never seen anything like it before. And I wanted to play that part. Why I wanted to play it, why I thought I could play it, I have no idea. And I knew that if I could do that, with real actors like Alan and Matt McGrath and like Mark, what, I was going to say Mark McGrath from that band in the 90s. Anyway, <laughs> but like real actors played that part. And so for me, it was like, I knew that if I was going to continue to have a career, I couldn't just keep doing Rent and Aida's. I had to be seen as somebody who can really act. And I knew that doing that role would do it if I was good. <laughs> if I tanked, my career was almost dead, at least in my head. Anyway, long story short, I ended up getting the part. And because... Everything involved with doing that show, as everything I had done up until that point also, were skills and things that I had never done before. But that particular show, every number was a fully choreographed number, you know what I mean? There was the German accent, there was all, all of these things that like really scared me. There was very little clothing, like all of these <laughs> things, the things that made me nervous, you know what I mean? The top of act two, which is basically coming out and doing a whole improv, like all of these things terrified me. And I had two weeks to learn it, because that's what you oh do. My you, gosh. you get two weeks to learn a lead role, or any role, to take over on Broadway. Oh, when you, when you replace, when yeah. When you replace, right. And I worked so hard on that show, and it just instilled in me a respect for acting and for the craft of what we do in musical theater in a way that I didn't have up until that point. And it made me realize that I got an immense amount of gratification from working really hard and having it pay off. That hadn't happened to, up until that point. I didn't really work too hard in Rent. I didn't really work too hard in Aida. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I did what I did, but was it hard work? No, of course not. But Cabaret was hard. I worked 18 hours a day, honestly, because it was like nine hours in the rehearsal room, and then I would go home and do homework. And yeah, It made me feel so good. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. The fact that every moment is choreographed. He does do all the dance numbers with the girls, and then there's just a lot of movement and being the host for the whole night and popping it back in. Yeah, that makes no sense. It put me solidly on this path that like, I want to keep doing this. Good. I want to ask you about being in Pretty Woman. So many of the parts like the MC and even Roger, you can put your own spin on it. And with Pretty Woman, you took on a part that is beloved and iconic 
but seared in the minds of fans of the film all over the world. How do you handle that fine line between making a part your own, but also staying true to what people think the character is? He's just a guy. He's just a guy in a set of circumstances. Yes, people have Richard Gere's performance burned in their mind, but it's not like it's Olivier's Hamlet. It's just a good, charming performance in a nice, charming movie. So I don't feel any pressure that I have to live up to Richard Gere or like do some performance that mirrors what he did. I mean, it never occurred to me. It's not an officer and a gentleman. <laughs> Even if it was, it's like these are just parts. They're just actors playing parts. I don't think that way. You know what I mean? And again, I've replaced a number of times now. So I know how to do it. And I know who I am and I know what I'll bring to something. And I'm just not the kind of person that could try and embody the thing that somebody else does. It's just not in me naturally. I wouldn't know how to do it. It would be like an impression. Yes, it is a very famous movie, but... You've got now an entire show of new original music that retells this story. And it tells it in a really beautiful way. And so I think that the audiences were genuinely really, really happy and excited leaving that theater after they saw that show, having not known what to expect, but getting all of the elements from the movie that they loved, but also getting this whole new experience. And then people who never saw the movie are getting a completely new experience. I think it was really well done. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I took a lot of friends who wouldn't normally come to see a Broadway show just because of the title. And they wanted to relive that movie that they loved in, in you know, a different genre, but definitely still that nostalgia is there. You do a lot of Broadway and you also tour on your own as well as record your own music. Do you find that's a good combination for you or do you wish you could do more of one or the other or... It seems to be the right combination for me. You know what I mean? And look, it's hard to not compare your career to other people's in show business or in any business, really. I was just talking about this yesterday. Most of my peers, the Norberts, the Will Chases, the Norm Lewises, they just the guys, the other sort of leading men guys on Broadway, like for the most part, when they're not doing theater, they're doing TV or film. I would imagine they see themselves as actors first and that's where they want their career to be acting whether it's in whatever medium for me i choose to make music the other thing that i do in conjunction with doing theater my perception of myself is just that i'm a good actor i'm a competent actor i could be on pretty much any tv show or do any part in a movie barring you know anything crazy but there are hundreds of those guys <laughs> that would fall into that category what category nobody falls into is the category of my singing and how I sing and how I sound and me musically. I feel like that's where I'm the most unique. And so I want to try and live where I am the most unique as often as I can. I just feel that if I'm going to offer anything to this world, that's the best thing I have to offer. I could be good on a TV show, but some guy will come along and he'll be just as good on the same show in the same part. I'm not adding anything to the world by pursuing <laughs> that part of my career. Well, you've also been gifted with this incredible voice. Well, yes, I agree with you, and I think I should use it. <laughs> yeah. I took a friend to your, I think it was your Sony Hall show, and we were just amazed that after 25 years, your voice is the same. Maybe it's gotten a little richer, but you've not lost any of that impact that you have on the audience. Well, thank you. I it's, it's, I don't know what you're doing if you're doing a lot of vocal exercises or maybe just because you're using it all the time. I use it. I use it properly. And I'm just fortunate. I'm very lucky. 
Do you find touring hard or are there aspects that you enjoy about it? I do really well touring. I do well alone. I do well traveling. So I actually really enjoy it. I like experiencing restaurants in new cities. Other than my children and my career, food would be next <laughs> on my list of priorities in my life. <laughs> so I love being in new cities and eating in good restaurants and all over the country. And yeah, I like it. Oh, nice. Have your kids seen your work? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My kids are older. My son's at UC San Diego. This oh my is my, God. my. How do you have a this, college? This son? is my $40,000 a year t shirt. <laughs> Is he going there for acting? No, no, no. no. <laughs> He's got a brain. <laughs> I know you see San Diego has a good acting program. That's why I asked. Yeah, no, no, no. He is a musician and a very good one. But now he's a math science kid. Oh, yay. That's and then, young, and then his younger brother is a senior in high school. That's like every parent's dream, <laughs> math science. They both <laughs> are a parent's dream, man. My boys are just the best. They are the greatest. I still can't get over the fact you have a child in college, but that just says how old I am too. <laughs> I want to ask you about your musical inspirations. Are there any artists that have had a particular influence on you? Musically? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh God, are you kidding? I mean, the list is endless. Let's start with the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Queen and Elton John and Billy Joel and Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond. I honestly could just That's list so eclectic, that list. Yeah. And as I became a teenager, it moves into the hard rock stuff. Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden and Ronnie James Dio and all these people that your listeners have no idea who I'm saying. All those guys. And Journey, Steve Perry. Honestly, there's just so many. Bono from U2 is a monstrous influence on me. And then you get into the 90s and then it's Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder. You know, when I was in my early 20s, like those guys really influenced me, certainly musically as a writer and as a singer. I'm still being influenced to this day, and now all of these Broadway singers are people that I'm influenced by. I never knew who Colm Wilkinson was growing up, but now I go on YouTube dives to watch him <laughs> sing. So like, I'm still being influenced by people. Yeah. I just watched Jeremy Jordan the other night. I was like, oh my God, I gotta sing like that dude. <laughs> I know, I do fall down that YouTube rabbit hole of Jeremy Jordan reveled as far as uh, Colin Wilkinson videos. And then YouTube keeps suggesting other things to you. You could spend hours, <laughs> you just meant to watch one Les Mis video, and then an hour later. <laughs> you've been performing online and you've done a few live shows at this point. How was that coming back? How was it to do a live show? Again, talk about being fortunate. I actually did, I would say three or four live performances during the lockdown. Oh, okay. I went to Utah. I went to Indiana. I did a couple in California. So it wasn't my first time back, but it was the first time back under much more relaxed circumstances. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not that we're out of the woods, obviously, by any stretch, but it was my first time back, me personally being vaccinated and being in a room full of people who were supposedly vaccinated. And so it definitely felt a lot more comfortable. That's great. Well... I know that with our audiences, they've just been over the moon to be back in this space Good. and have their favorite performers and seeing live music. We've just had so many different types of acts and the audience reaction, they're so grateful that things are coming back. You have six shows coming up at Feinstein's 54 Below. What can audiences expect? And what are you looking forward to the most for that run? 
I'm looking forward to just getting back on that stage. I love that club and I've played there so often and I'm just, I'm very comfortable there and I'm very comfortable on that stage and I love having a big mirror right in front of me when I play there because <laughs> <laughs> there's a mirror on the back wall so I can, I can watch myself. And so I'm very excited for that. Audiences can expect it's a solo acoustic show. I do have a full acoustic retrospective of my career that I'm currently out there performing. However, my time is a little bit shorter at 54 Below, so I think I'm just going to do a combination of that show, some stuff from that show, and then some other stuff, some songs that I've been playing during the lockdown that just have got me through the lockdown, like for whatever reason, some of these songs I've just found myself playing a lot, and so I'm going to play some of those. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Adam, it's been a real pleasure to have you on our podcast today. My inner fangirl is doing a silent scream right now. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, thank you. Adam Pascal will play Fine Science 54 Below July 24th through 27th and August 2nd and 9th. Tickets are available at 54below.com. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.